Good morning. Welcome to this assembly. You are invited back at 5 p.m. Tonight at 5 p.m. I'll be addressing two passages from the book of Psalms, chapter 14 and chapter 53. Take a few minutes this afternoon before you come back at 5 and read Psalm 14 and 53. That will be our study for tonight. You are invited to our Bible classes twice a week, Sunday mornings at 9.30, Wednesday nights at 7.30. Currently, the adult class study is located in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. Now this morning, <clears throat> I'm returning to a series. I'm delivering one Sunday morning a month this year. It's What Christians Do. That's the title of the series. And this is based on the book of Acts. In January, attention was given to that phrase in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In February, Christians stick together. They help each other. They form local groups and help each other and dispense the greatest message that can be dispensed, the gospel of Christ. So we are working with that theme all this year and again this month. And I'll ask that we listen again in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 44. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 44. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common had all things in common, which suggests sharing. To that passage, let me add two others. Acts eleven twenty nine, the disciples determine everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And then again, I want to read Acts twenty thirty five. Paul to the brethren in Ephesus, quoting Jesus, he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So, what do Christians do? In their capacity as members joined together in a local church. They share. It's what... Christians do. And that's what I want to deal with this morning. And it's important for me to divine, uh, define exactly what I'm talking about. So listen carefully to this next part. There is a duty individual Christians have that is broadly speaking called generosity. You ought to be generous in your character wherever you are. Gifts that you offer and that help others 
with their needs. That's generosity. You do that as an individual wherever you are. Maybe that people in the local church are not even acquainted with, not even a part of. Individual generosity or benevolence. Taking food to your neighbor where there is an illness or a death. Giving your co-worker a ride to the doctor. Maybe contributing to a charitable cause that provides funds for medical research or helps patients with long-term illness. I'm going to call that individually driven generosity. Individually driven generosity. And that holds great virtue. It is what we ought to do as individuals according to our ability and opportunity. And we have dealt with that from this pulpit many times. It is not the subject of this study. In these passages cited, especially the Acts 11 account that I'm going to read in a moment. In these passages we're considering this morning, we are talking about what Christians do collectively as a group responding to the needs of Christians who have suffered tragedy. And so when I say it's what Christians do in this sermon, I'm using that phrase to describe and emphasize how Christians in a group respond to the needs of other Christians who are suffering tragedy. Now I want you to join me in Acts 11, and we're going to begin reading at verse 19 down through verse 30. Acts 11 we're going to begin reading at verse 19 down through verse 13. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, each according to his ability, to send relief 
to the brothers living in Judea. And they did this, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. We're going to look through this passage as we talk about what Christians do. And first, I want to observe what the primary work was. This is very important. Very important. What was their primary work? Verse 19, speaking the word. Verse 20, preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 26, teaching people. Now, I've not surprised you here. I've not given you new information. I haven't given you some interpretation. We've just read from the account in Acts 11. If you read everything the New Testament says about the work local churches are to do, and you should... You know that the focus, the primary assignment, is to preach the Word. Here at Laurel Heights, our primary work is to preach the Word. It is not to entertain people. It is not to give people jobs. It is not social. It is not political. Our charge from God to this group is to preach the Word. And so we deliver sermons, (coughs) we hold classes, we load our website with teaching, and we offer to study the Bible with people privately. We have classes for children to teach them the Word of God on their level. I am supported by the church full-time to engage in preaching and teaching the Word. Now, where do we get this? We get this from the New Testament. And here is an example. The local church in Antioch focused on, used their primary energy in preaching the Word. That was primary. So, I say that and I emphasize that to make this point. Whatever might be discovered in the realm of benevolence... For needy Christians who are in a crisis, we must not take our eye off the main thing. Preach the word. Never stop preaching the word. But as they were preaching the word and edifying and encouraging one another, they heard of a famine with impact among their brethren in Judea. And they heard this in a unique, credible, and direct way. You heard this in verse 27. In these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. May I remind us of a few 
realities about that time frame, about that era. There was no FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency, no. There was no Allstate, State Farm, or any insurance entities and responses, no help from the country, no foreign aid, no Red Cross, no local charities and welfare programs. So while the brethren in Antioch did not neglect their main work, it says when they heard about this, they determined. Can I stop there a minute? At verse 29, the disciples determined. What does that mean? One translation may help. The New International Version says they decided. Have you ever looked at a paycheck stub? Maybe for some of you this would have been years ago. Have you ever looked at a paycheck stub and something was deducted from your check you never agreed to? You had no choice. Years ago in my father's era, the company he worked for made certain commitments as a company to charitable organizations in the community. And those commitments were paid for by deductions from employees' salaries. I don't know if that's still going on. But in the case of these Christians in the church at Antioch, they decided to provide the help. They didn't have to be squeezed. They didn't have to be robbed. A deduction didn't need to come out of them somehow unbeknownst to them. They decided to provide this help. Sometimes when we talk about this, we speak of it as voluntary. Or we speak of it as free will. Now, it ought to be based on your devotion to God. <clears throat> so it's not that you're free to do anything you want to do without consequence. But it's free will in the sense that you make a decision based on your commitment to God that you're going to provide help in this instance and you're going to do that each according to your ability. Nobody can come around and say, it's going to have to be $50 each, each according to his ability. It's what Christians do. It is not robbery. It is not socialism. It is not extortion. They heard about their brethren in Judea having trouble, and they decided to help. Notice as well, they didn't form an organization and pay administrators to collect and do accounting and distribution in such a manner that when a dollar is given, a dime winds up with the needy person. They didn't do that. They decided of their own free will, according to their ability, it says they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. How pure and simple this act of benevolence was. It's what Christians do. In their function as a group, 
when they discover a tragedy brethren are going through that they cannot handle, Christians in the local church decide to do this while not neglecting their primary work of preaching. It's what Christians do. Something else to be noted here. This account given by Luke and Acts is very clear about something else. Verse 29 says, So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to, look at the recipient phrase now, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. The New Testament identifies the recipients of this benevolence. And it says, the brothers living in Judea. Wait a minute. Somebody might reply. Maybe somebody who reads this the first time. Somebody might reply. Were there members of the church in Judea? Uh, were the members of the church in Judea the only ones affected by the famine? No. Agabus told them there would be a great famine over all the world. Here's the question I'm leading us to. Did God expect the disciples in Antioch to provide relief for the whole world? For everybody in Judea? Let's pause here and think about this. There are many people today who believe strongly that the church should respond with money to anyone who wants money. And that belief is sometimes stated. Somebody will come and they will say, I need money and you're a church, you ought to give me money. I'm behind on my car payment. I can't pay my water bill. I spent a little too much. Yes, that's right, the first two weeks of the month. And so I don't have money, and you're a church, and you have money. Give me money. That's the philosophy of some people. But nobody can do that. Nobody can do that. With regard to individual benevolence, nobody can do that. Can you help everybody who needs help all around the world? Can you help everybody who needs help in your neighborhood? Can you help everybody who needs help in your family? Aren't your resources limited? Aren't your resources limited? With regard to individual benevolence, can you hand out money to everybody on every corner with a cardboard sign? Even benevolent and charitable organizations can't do that. Those with needs have to apply and qualify. Yet when it comes to local churches, there's this common belief that we are here to give out money. We're here to preach the word and edify the saints. When situations come up among our brethren and we determine to help them, we have done that because it's what Christians do. While our main work must continue preaching the word, when situations come up as described in Acts 11, we respond because 
It's what Christians do. But if there's a hurricane, we can't help everybody who suffered from the hurricane. We can help our brethren. And that's the New Testament pattern we read right there in Acts chapter 11. We are here to show people where they can have relief from spiritual poverty. That's our main work. It's what Christians do. I'll make this point to supplement what I've said from the text. In both individual generosity and collective benevolence, God doesn't expect us to just pass out money to anybody who asks. In fact, there are two distinct places in Scripture where we are advised to apply wise stewardship. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 27, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. Now what does that mean? Listen to it again, Proverbs 3.27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. Now that phrase, to whom it is due, has to mean something. It was put there by the Holy Spirit. It leads to this question. Before I open my billfold and I pass out the money, is there genuine need? Am I giving somebody money? that they're going to use for the lottery or alcohol or cigarettes? Is there genuine need? I need to be informed as a giver. Is the recipient unable to provide for their needs? Is there a circumstance like a famine? Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. And then it gets really serious. In 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's stewardship. Wise stewardship, responsibility that God places on the one who has the ability to give. Emotionally, it is tough for many people to just read this. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. But it's written right there from God through Paul to the Thessalonians and for us. We are not here to just pass out money. Individuals can't do that with personal generosity, and neither can churches. And as I read the New Testament accounts of local churches responding as a group to benevolent needs, it is never about passing out money to everybody who says they have a need. The pattern is, as reflected here, sending relief to needy brethren. Yet, never neglecting our main job, you remember? Our main job to preach the Word. It's what Christians do. Final point. 
While there is a difference between individual benevolence and generosity and what God has directed the local church to do, in both cases, the response is not only according to ability, but it's according to compassion. Not blind emotion, but informed compassion. We don't gather up money and send it to hurricane victims merely to comply with the duty. Merely because it was a line in the budget. Are not to boast of our generosity. They are our brethren. We love them. Generosity without compassion is nothing but empty list keeping duty. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's what Christians do. Next month, the series continues based on these valuable narratives in the book of Acts. If you are not a Christian, upon your confession of faith in Jesus Christ, you can repent and be baptized as it is stated in Acts chapter 2. We plead with you to engage in that response while we stand together and as we sing.